Typically, when ethical hackers discover cyber vulnerabilities in medical devices, the white hat hackers notify government officials and/or the vendor before going public with the findings. But that didn't happen in a recent case involving alleged serious cybersecurity vulnerabilities found by a startup research firm, MedSec Holdings, in St. Jude Medical implantable cardiac devices. Instead, MedSec notified a short-sell investment firm, Muddy Waters Capital, who issued a report about the findings, causing St. Jude Medical's stock to tumble after Muddy Waters placed a bet that the stock would take a hit. Muddy Waters also admits to having a financial arrangement with MedSec. The situation is raising many questions. I'm Marianne Kobasak McGee, executive editor of Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Joshua Corman. Director of the Cyber Statecraft Initiative at the Atlantic Council and founder of I Am the Calvary, a grassroots not-for-profit cyber safety advocacy organization. So now, Josh, in its report, Muddy Waters claims that MedSec researchers have demonstrated and that Muddy Waters has replicated in-house two types of cyber attacks against the St. Jude implantable cardiac devices. Now, aside from the manner in which the MedSec report was issued, what do you find most troubling about the supposed vulnerabilities that MedSec claims to have found in the St. Jude medical cardiac devices? And how potentially serious are these flaws if the report is accurate? I'm glad you're separating the veracity of this particular set of bugs from the method with which they were disclosed and communicated. Initially, there is some debate and some debunking going on on some of the research, but I expect that that will go back and forth until it settles down to some ground truth. But I will say broadly that medical devices writ large were never really designed and architected with proper and modern threat models considered for a very long period of time. So there's a very large amount of legacy technology that has security exposures that simply weren't factored for. And that's one of the reasons we started I Am the Cavalry three years ago in August was we saw that our dependence on connected technology is growing faster than our ability to secure it in these areas affecting public safety and human life. So we've been aggressively working with the multi-stakeholder ecosystem like the Food and Drug Administration as a regulator, like the major medical and manufacturers, the major hospitals like Mayo Clinic, et cetera, to try to raise literacy and awareness and also change the regulatory climate and the threat modeling and the way we approach security for these future devices. In the meantime, though, Many, many, many devices, not just St. Jude, do have security issues in them, and some of them can be easily mitigated and some are a bit harder. So now, as I mentioned earlier, typically researchers who find these sorts of vulnerabilities in medical devices alert the Department of Homeland Security or the FDA before publicly releasing their findings and perhaps contact the vendor. Instead, the MedSec researchers gave the heads up about its findings to Muddy Waters, an investment firm who then issued the report, and then short-sold stock in the medical device maker based on the report. Does this raise questions about the ethics of the so-called ethical hacker and the investment firm? And even so, is the outrage by some about the manner in which the report was issued justified? Or is it a case of shooting the messenger because the messenger didn't follow the typical industry protocol in delivering the message? Well, I think if we had a cleaner and more commonly accepted disclosure process, then if the manufacturer still had heartburn, then you might say it's sour grapes or shooting the messenger. 
but it seems like there may be mistakes on many people's parts in this particular circumstance. Disclosure is a tough topic, and it's a it's been going on for three decades, and there's a lot of very strong opinions about it. In the last year or two, you've seen a lot more fresh and productive conversation around it. In fact, the U.S. Commerce Department through NTIA has been holding a series of multi-stakeholder public workshops on best practices for coordinated vulnerability disclosure. I'm running one of the safety working groups within that process. And one of the things we like to remind people beyond just the de facto sort of best practices, which really weren't followed here, is that when it comes to public safety and human life issues, we need additional care. So what may have made sense for disclosing a a bug in a website or a web browser, which can be fixed quickly and has no loss of life, we may need very different levels of care in how we communicate something in, in a device that could lead to harm or loss of life and may not be patchable at all. So there's a number of factors we go through in the safety working group. But beyond that, when we launched the Cavalry, we put on our site a, a position on disclosure, which outlines what we think needs to be the shared responsibility between the bug finder, the bug receiver, and the general public. But the very first line is the one that matters here. It says, whoever cares about public safety and human life should take great care to not inadvertently put them at risk. And this is just a very different ballgame. The general protocol for any bug disclosure is you initially try with the vendor to tell them, ideally through their coordinated vulnerability disclosure program. Failing that, or if there's an impasse, or even in parallel, you may tell the Department of Homeland Security's ICS cert. So DHS ICS cert handles safety critical bugs. And the Food and Drug Administration is the regulator of record here. And in this particular case, reasonable people can disagree over whether or not they expected St. Jude to do the right thing this time. But I think most of the outrage comes from the fact that they didn't tell DHS, ICS, CERT, or FDA in a way that could warn patients, medical facilities, uh, physicians, et cetera. And if this research is accurate and enables an adversary to have an advantage at repeating and attacking, any loss of life here could be due to the way it was communicated directly to the public through a financial scheme. So do you believe that St. Jude Medical knew about these vulnerabilities before MedSec disclosed them to Muddy Water? It's unclear, and I think the facts are going to be tossed around back and forth for some time until it settles down. But what I will say, let me make a few observations. Number one, for many years, devices were designed and implemented and passed through the FDA before there was any real enlightened guidance on real cybersecurity issues. And that's one of the reasons we formed Night in the Cavalry. It's one of the reasons we've been working so intensely with the Food and Drug Administration. And to their credit, they have learned very quickly, and they've incorporated many of these guidelines into their pre-market guidance for connected medical devices a little over a year and a half ago. And then this January, they put out their post-market guidance. So if pre-market is the things you must do before you can bring a new product to market, post-market is the ongoing expectations for hygiene and responding to security issues for the life of the product. And the two of those combined highly resemble what we've written, which is a Hippocratic Oath for Connected Medical Devices. And it essentially says that all systems fail, and these device manufacturers need to have five postures towards failure. We encourage them to have a good program to avoid failure and tell their customers how, to take help avoiding failure from third-party researchers acting in good faith, to capture, study, and learn from failure so that we can make the future devices better, to have a to contain and isolate cascading failure so we don't see a lot of people hurt once an initial one is, and to inoculate against future failure or rather security update. And that's a really good rule of thumb for shareholders, for investors into future med tech, for device manufacturers to look at the maturity of their program. But 
without excusing the sins of the past, um, if you have this long period of time where these devices came to market without any of that guidance, you've seen significant progress on many of the device manufacturers adapting to this guidance, and it'll take time for their research and development and going through the 510K process and bringing these things into market and rotating the old ones out of the market that, in many of these cases, if the flaws found have been either patched, mitigated, or, or in the process of doing so. And one other unfortunate factor for something like a pacemaker is short of having a prescription, you're not going to get a new one that's recently configured and updated. So many of these are purchased on eBay or taken from cadavers or taken from veterinarians are the top kind of vectors people get these. And if they haven't been kept up to date and if they aren't configured or connected to lead wires, which are part of the overall mitigation strategy, some of the bugs found may not be actual material risk to actual patients. So there may be a signal-to-noise ratio problem here, and that's what some of the fact-checkers are looking at. So with that said, what's your advice to healthcare entities and patients that are using these devices? Well, like I, I said, and I don't want to alarm people, but we do have material exposures and very poor designs for a lot of the devices out there in the field, and those include some of the ones in the chest cavity of some of their patients. On the whole, many of these people believe the, the life-saving and life-prolonging health benefits of these outweigh potential risks, or as we get more adversaries that know of these, the threat landscape changes a bit. So for now, what I'm encouraging people to do is, this is going to sound cliche, but there has to be a risk assessment done with your physician and with frameworks like we've published with the Hippocratic Oath. But on a go-forward basis, we really see that you must be this tall to ride the Internet of Medical Things. And if you aren't doing these five postures towards failure, you're going to be in a higher-than-average risk position for your customers and for your, your shareholders. We know these devices that have software, all software is hackable. We know as soon as you connect it to other things, you expose how hackable it is. And if you've seen the, the pretty terrifying denial of patient care that happened at Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital, thanks to just a random piece of ransomware, where they had to divert ambulances to other facilities, there are a lot of material weaknesses in healthcare, and that's why we so aggressively have to do the work through I'm the Cavalry, that we have to help the FDA succeed. We want to look for exemplars in industry that are going above and beyond who are making excellent use of third-party researchers in a high-trust, high-collaboration way. And I think that's one of the reasons that the, the, the manner of disclosure here was so frustrating is that we've done a fairly good job over the last three years taking us from a stalemate where researchers were a pointing finger at past failures and manufacturers were lawyering up and calling their general counsels and threatening, and, and that stalemate was not productive for any patient care. Over the last three years, we've tried to be a helping hand towards future success, and we've tried to lead with empathy and common ground, and we've had significant progress with many of these manufacturers adding disclosure programs, many of them voluntarily adding software bill materials, many of them seeking best practices and integrating threat modeling into their software design. So I think we're turning the corner, but it'll take many, many years to do so. And for now, I would look at people who are best embodying and acting upon those five areas of failure preparedness in the Hippocratic Oath. So now, Josh, if these researchers allegedly found these vulnerabilities in St. Jude products, and there are vulnerabilities in many medical device products out there, how likely is it that black hat hackers that do have malicious intent already know about these potential flaws in medical devices with intentions for causing harm, as has been depicted by Hollywood. How soon do you think it's going to be till we see something really bad like this happen? We all hate the, in security, we hate the this cliche that security through obscurity 
you know, protects you that, that just simply not knowing there's a problem. But as I get older and as I look at this particular space, sometimes obscurity is all you have. And I think we have a little bit of time on specifically this kind of medical device. This is a very personal attack. It's often a very short-range attack. It's also a very targeted attack. But a, a few framing thoughts. One is that the assumptions around who would attack you typically are very naive and very short-sighted. Uh, I like to remind people that with 7 billion people on Earth, the, the motivations for, for hacking are as varied as they are in the human condition. So if you don't see any money in hacking these or you don't think you're going to be the target of a nation-state assassination, that's fine. But there are a lot of different adversary types. And just this past week, August 24th, marks the one-year anniversary of when the U.S. killed Janayad Hussein with a drone strike in Raqqa, Syria. This is a U.K. citizen who was a hacker in Team Poison, part of Anonymous. He radicalized, started the cyber caliphate in Syria and was recruiting and training people to use basic hacking skills like Shodan and Metasploit to inflict harm upon their enemies. Now, something like a pacemaker requires more skill than I just referred to, but he's an existence proof of someone with the means, motive, and increasing opportunity, thanks to us putting the Internet into everything in our lives, of someone who might want to hurt you. But on the more banal side of things, Bo likes to remind us that malicious intent is not a prerequisite to harm. And it's not just adversaries, it's accidents. And adversaries. And the Hollywood Presbyterian outage of patient care was not targeted or intentional and yet still had adverse impact. So as we become more dependent on this connected technology and as the skill set and interest and toying of the adversary community goes up, this will increasingly become a problem. So I see we're in a foot race where can we educate and lift up better secure design architecture and failure preparedness through things like the Hippocratic Oath faster than our adversary classes ramp up their interest and activity. But right now, I'm less concerned about some of these implanted medical devices and a lot more concerned about clinical medical environments like a hospital, which looks an awful lot more like an enterprise so adversaries have more experience. It's more familiar. They know how to attack Windows XP systems, which are legion in these environments. So something more exotic like a car, a power plant, or an implanted medical device takes additional research and familiarity. Not infinitely more. We just had a guy win the car hacking capture the flag contest, having never once touched car hacking before. So in less than a morning, he adapted quickly enough to win the contest at DEF CON. So these are additional learning curves, but they're not insurmountable learning curves for someone who's motivated to figure this stuff out. We have some time, but not a lot of time. And finally, Josh, any suggestion about what the most important step that a healthcare entity or even a medical device maker can do right now to make an improvement in medical device cybersecurity? Yeah, I think the best conversation tool, since we have a, a very diverse set of backgrounds and technical levels is the Hippocratic Oath for Connected Medical Devices that we posted. It's just those five postures towards failure, and they allow you to have an adult conversation and a fact-based conversation about how ready the current device or devices are. You can look at the presence of an exploitable flaw in one of those devices may not be as bad if you can very quickly update it, you know, which is uh, one of the five preparedness things. So if someone's concerned, and they should be, I think that's a good tool to talk to with your physician or with your manufacturer and make an informed decision. One of our researchers in the cavalry, Marie Mo, she's a security researcher and a crypto PhD, and she ran Norwegian CERT, but she's also a patient of a pacemaker. She woke up in a hospital bed with one in her chest. And while she hacks these devices routinely and works quietly and carefully and and collaboratively with the manufacturers to fix these issues. On the whole, she's very happy she has it. It keeps her alive. 
and keeps her with her family. She, she runs marathons. We need to make sure that we are aggressive in getting to a better future state, but we also have to remain calm through this transition state because the worst thing that can happen is a crisis of confidence in these connected technologies may scare people from otherwise life-saving technologies. They need to be better. We're helping to make them better. But in the transition, we need facts. We need careful consideration. We need conscientious disclosure. We need to put the patients first. And my biggest disappointment in this whole ordeal is I have yet to see a single article that asks how the patients feel or considers and has empathy for how this affects the long-tailed patients that currently have these technologies keeping them alive. Thanks, Josh. I've been speaking to Josh Corman. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.